Can I pray for you, Peter? Yes, please. Take that. Okay. Lord God, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his uh, love of you and of your word. And we thank you for all that he's prepared this morning. And as we hear his message, Lord, would you give us um, alert minds, open ears, and just responsive hearts, Lord, just to really hear what you're saying through him to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Somewhere I've got this zapper thing, which... uh, I'm supposed to manipulate. Um, Paul, could you put the title slide up, please, dear friend? Ah, that's it. Good. So, I find it difficult to walk and chew gum at the same time, so if I don't get this right, forgive me. Paul will take over. Uh, I'm going to begin by reading the the passage which I've been asked to to, uh, share with you this morning. It's from Matthew's Gospel, the 26th chapter, beginning at verse 36. Then uh, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, the second time he went and prayed my father if this cannot pass unless I drink it your will be done again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy so leaving them he went again away and prayed for the third time the same words he came to his disciples and said to them sleep take your rest See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. So, the evening of 23rd of August, year of our Lord, 1981... I'd cycled home after leaving my wife, Sue. Uh, I share this story with her permission, by the way, okay? In the maternity unit at the London Hospital, 
where we'd been told confidently that nothing was going to happen until next morning. Now, uh, it's true. A junior midwife had um, said she thought the baby was breech. But more senior colleagues had checked. Uh, this was in the days when dinosaurs ro roamed the earth freely and... They didn't have ultrasound. They had an ultrasound machine, but it was only reserved for if royalty came to visit. So nobody bothered to check, yeah? Well, the senior colleagues were confident. It was all fine. So home, cup of hot chocolate, to bed with Emma. That's Jane Austen's novel, For the Avoidance of Doubt. <laughs> I'd just put the light out when the phone rang. It seems that things were happening right now, and oh, by the way, the junior midwife was right. So um, I cycled the seven miles from East Ham to the London Hospital in 23 minutes. I mean, I had a waste and things then. It was, I, I see Ed's looking a bit skeptical at the back there, but it's true. And uh, of course, when we got there, we had to agree to an emergency C-section. And I held Sue's hand until off she went behind the door. And I was left outside of the corridor praying or trying to. I couldn't find the right words, you know, beyond, well, God, let it be all right. I, I tried to remember a psalm, but all these words I thought I knew by heart, they, they're just gone. And what's more, I kept bizarrely being distracted by stupid stuff. Had I left the lights on? I had, as it happens, yeah. And uh, what about the Polish debt the Austrian bank I'd worked for uh, filled their boots with and now was going bad? And I felt a strange desire to just rush off, do something, anything, rather than just stand there and try and pray. <laughs> so it seemed to me I couldn't pray. But then, um, could I ever pray? And the answer is actually no. Humanly speaking, I couldn't pray. You couldn't pray. Because prayer is not something we do. Actually, it's something God does. And, uh, you know, I <laughs> root that rather paradoxical saying. Seems nonsense. Because, of course, we all pray. We all pray. We all pray all the time. Uh, in this verse from Romans, which I hope you can read, just about. If not, I'll read it. It's from Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Let us take on board what Paul is saying here. We don't know how to pray. Oh, yeah, there are books full of prayers. There are prayer meetings where people speak. 
in wonderful, eloquent words, sometimes at length. We may spend hours as prayer warriors wrestling in prayer with all sorts of techniques. Candles are very helpful, apparently. Prayer apps. You can get prayer apps now. It's good, good. But if it's just our words, we aren't praying. Not as we ought. It's not that prayer is difficult and hard, though we often find it is. Actually, humanly speaking, according to the Apostle, prayer is impossible. <laughs> Humans, humanly speaking, can't pray. They don't know how to. But God does. When in Christ, in Christ, we turn to God, no matter how badly, humanly speaking, it seems we pray, no matter how distracted we are and how we can't find the right words, no matter that we may feel we're going round in circles, there's no answer, we're not getting anywhere, the whole thing may seem indeed ridiculous, talking to our imaginary friend, If we are in Christ, then we do indeed pray. Or rather, God, the Holy Spirit, prays in us. This is a great and saving truth. And we need to look no further for proof of it this morning than the passage I read. At Matthew's witness to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Surely the greatest and most effective prayer there ever has been and ever will be. Matthew bears witness, first of all, that this is a prayer coming from someone who is in breakdown. He tells us that Jesus told his disciples to wait elsewhere in the garden while he took Peter, James and John to support him. And then as translations put it, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, taking Peter and the sons of Debedee with him. He began to be sorrowful and uh, troubled. Now look, troubled is what is called an under-translation. It doesn't do justice to the degree of distress that fills his mind at this point. Uh, the Greek word is ademonein. Demos is a home. Ademos means not to be at home. The best translation is actually he was beside himself. Wouldn't you be if you faced the prospect of being betrayed, brutally arrested, given a kangaroo trial, tortured and scourged, and then subject to the most agonizing death there ever has been. That's what crucifixion was, by the way. 
You, you won't go into the details here. You can leave that to Good Friday. It was designed to put the victim through protracted torture till their heart gave out. So you might be a little troubled yourself. All of us would be. And so he prays. <clears throat> and he prays something like, Please, God, don't let me have to go through with this horror. Unless, of course, you want me to. It's not really name it and claim it, is it? It's a bit confused. What do you want? Yes or no? And what's more, he's pretty easily distracted, isn't he? As we often are ourselves. At least I am in my prayers. He wanders back to see what his friends are doing. Peter, James and John and these mighty prayer warriors have fallen asleep. So he tries to pray again. But there's nothing new he can say. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So back to the disciples who've fallen asleep again. And then to prayer for the third time. Saying the same words once more. Now, judged as an exercise in powerful intercessory prayer, you know, the sort of people, the sort of prayer that on 7 o'clock on a Wednesday morning when we're Zooming together in this church, people would say, wow, what a prayer, that guy can really pray. This is poor. Not to say pathetic. But judged as God sees the matter, this is the most powerful prayer ever prayed. It keeps him in the garden, of course. And, you know, if you know the geography of Jerusalem, all he had to do was walk up the slope and there's the wilderness of Judah. No one would find him there. They wouldn't even look after him, actually. By the, why would they bother? All he has to do is stop praying and walk up the slope and he's home free. But this is the prayer that makes possible the cross, the resurrection, the mighty ascension, the riding up the heavenly way, the coming at the day of doom. it opens our eyes to the great mystery that at the heart of God, who is three in one, is prayer. God the Son prays to the Father, your will be done eternally. And God the Father prays, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that prayer between them is the Holy Spirit, the go-between God, who also 
intercedes, takes our prayers and makes them one with the prayer of the Father and the Son that they are as effective as those prayers. Yes, prayer is, humanly speaking, not just difficult, it's impossible. Because prayer is something that God does, not that we do. Hallelujah. This means that we don't need to ask, do I pray in the right way? Or even, is there anything I can do to make sure God hears my prayers? No, the question we should ask ourselves is rather, am I in Christ? That is, am I responding in love and faith to his promises? Am I relying on his grace alone to put me right with God and draw me into the very heart of the Godhead? For if we are so responding, if we are so relying... If we are in Christ, then God the Holy Spirit takes our feeble attempts at prayer and unites them with the great prayer of Christ. And by God's mercy, because of Christ's merit, they have great power and effect. As James says, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. There is only one righteous, Christ. And it's only when we unite our prayers with his that our prayers are powerful and effective. It follows there is no such thing as an expert in prayer. Nobody who prays better than anybody else. Whether we are the sort of wordsmith whose prayers find their ways into books of offices and liturgies, or whether we're someone who can hardly string two words together, who ums and ahs their way through a mumbled petition, and is always quiet in the prayer meeting because they always feel they're going to be not up to scratch. It doesn't matter. If we are in Christ, then our prayers are being used by God. Then as we pray, the tricky operation is pulled off by the surgeon against everybody's expectations. The operation goes well and the patient survives. The child is pulled from the rubble. The despairing sinner finds a gracious sinner, a saviour. The husband sees the folly of the adultery he is contemplating. Our prayers are mighty and effective. We must not be put off if prayer seems hard. If we get easily distracted... <laughs> You know, perhaps those distractions are what God, the Holy Spirit, is asking you to focus on.
We must not be put off if we feel we aren't getting anywhere and there don't seem to be answers. Let's ignore all that and keep praying at every opportunity. Let's keep praying for those doors. They are going to come. Anything that can keep us pressing into Christ and so into prayer should not, of course, be neglected. Praying with others helps so much as do regular times of private prayer, as do the great traditional prayers of the church we can find in prayer books and hymn books. So many of our hymns are prayers, aren't they? Above all, we should not neglect the prayer that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer, whose very first petition reminds us of the great prayer of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. But if we can't manage any of that, and all we can do is pray occasional arrow prayers as we go around, don't worry. We should pray as we can, not as we can't. But we must make sure we are in Christ. So, back to the London Hospital. By now the wee hours of the morning of the 22nd of August, 1981. Well, after what seemed like hours, it's only 40 minutes actually, the door opened and a nurse popped out to say, oh, you've got a lovely healthy boy and your wife is recovering well. His bottom's a bit scratched, mind. They thought it was a head, you see. I'll leave you to, if you've got medical knowledge, you'll understand that remark. It seemed my bumbling, totally inadequate prayers had worked after all. Yes, indeed, because the Holy Spirit took them and made them into the powerful intercession of Jesus Christ, that the Father's will be done. And so we now have Tom, 41 years, is it, Sue? 42 soon. Yeah, around that, anyway. Social worker. I mean, when is somebody in my family going to do a real job? Ministers, social workers, what? Has a child protection team in South London. Yeah. And may his will be done there. Amen. <laughs> 